Thanks for listening to Porchlight Music Theater's WPMT. If you love classic musicals, why not check out Porchlight's Sondheim at 90 Roundtable, our discussion series focusing on the complete works of Stephen Sondheim, with me, Porchlight Artistic Director Michael Weber. I've had a great time discussing all of the musicals of Sondheim's incredible career with stars from Chicago theater, Broadway, and beyond weekly throughout Sondheim's 90th birthday year. Listen today to Sondheim at 90 Roundtable for a behind-the-scenes deep dive into the mind, the music, and the writing methods of one of music theater's greatest composers. Available right here on your favorite podcast platform. Search for Sondheim at 90 Roundtable or visit porchlightmusictheater.org for more information. I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Today is another special edition of Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio with our guest, conductor, director, composer, sound designer, teacher, and music director of our Porchlight Revisits production of the Marx Brothers musical Minnie's Boys, Christy Childs Twilly. Hello, Christy. Hello. I'm so glad you're here. Let's start with a little background on today's musical. Opening at the Broadway Theater December 2, 1943, Carmen Jones, with music by George Bizet, based on his 1875 opera Carmen, was a dream project of the production's book writer and lyricist Oscar Hammerstein II, who since boyhood was frustrated at seeing operas that his father produced, which he couldn't understand. After Hammerstein's career writing musicals began, in 1934 he was inspired by a production of the opera Carmen he saw at the Hollywood Bowl, and he was certain that such a gripping story, with its stunning music, could find a mass, modern American audience, especially if written in English and updated with a contemporary setting. Hammerstein got to work on his Carmen musical, and, coming off an infamous string of writing five flops, it was around this same time, in 1942, that he took a meeting with composer Richard Rogers at the Barbary Room to discuss their possibly collaborating to adapt the Broadway play Green Grow the Lilacs as a musical. So Carmen Jones was temporarily shelved until Rogers and Hammerstein's first production could be completed and opened. And then Hammerstein's Carmen project moved quickly into production. Featuring an astonishing cast of African-American actors and arriving on Broadway just nine months after he and Rogers opened what would become Oklahoma, Carmen Jones became one of the bona fide hits of the season, assuring a whole new era of Hammerstein long runs to come. So, Christy, this is an amazing production that I have only really begun to get introduced to myself, but um, I, I just find it astonishing for the era. Same. <laughs> I mean, I I was to great delight in rewatching um, and and listening to the radio version and listening to the Broadway version and even the film version. But it's still amazing to me that they created the setting that they did for this classic opera, and that they found this phenomenal cast of voices mm -hmm. that can handle the operatic bravura of, right. of the score 
And so many of them, from what I understand, were, were in many ways making their Broadway stage debuts. They were opera-based singers and actors, but had never been given an opportunity to to play lead roles on Broadway. And so this was some place where this was an opportunity where they really got to shine. Yes. And, and during the course of my um, reviewing and of who was in the cast and what mm-hmm. their backgrounds were, I had forgotten a lot of that. Um, and in particular that Muriel Smith, who plays Carmen was at the Curtis Institute of yeah. music with Bernstein and Mm -hmm. that she just has this literally this voice that is clear as a bell it's just Mm -hmm. gorgeous um but yeah when she came to this production it was literally her first time Mm -hmm. on stage yeah (laughs) and and to take and to be in a lead not even like get the operation not kind of get eased into being in a Broadway musical but have to stand there and how she triumphed and just knocked it out of the park and 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 uh, became even more famous because of the expanse of her talent. It really, really is amazing. Yeah. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, as you mentioned, or as we're going to talk about later, you know, she voiced many other roles for Hammerstein musicals, mm-hmm. for actors that couldn't sing well. And, you know, she was a ghost singer and didn't get a lot of yeah. credit for that. But yes. yeah, her voice is just stunningly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And she also, in addition to doing Carmen Jones, she did sing the role, I believe, in London. She did Bizet's mm-hmm. opera there. Right. So and she that, was very familiar with the original. Right. Well, that's the thing that's, that's uh, so remarkable about the production is how true they stayed to Bizet. They didn't, they didn't uh, kind of like make it a swing musical or, or, or kind of or, or, or fool with that. They really, you know, whatever Hammerstein was starting from, the music he stayed true to in that sense. Yeah, they didn't over-romanticize any sense of Americana or, mm-hmm. or the sense of what was happening during the war era. That right. is truly amazing. All of the, the phrasing, all of the orchestrations and everything are almost perfectly intact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they just put it in this new world. Right. Well, and that's so interesting. The new world. I mean, uh, talk to us a little bit about that. What What is the difference between just drop dramatically between Carmen and Carmen Jones? How did How did the translation um, present itself? Sure. So, of course, the original opera by Georges Bizet was in French uh, and performed in Paris. The setting for the opera actually takes place in Seville, Spain, and a few other locations, but still in Spain. And so we start off traditionally like we do in a lot of operas in a nice big town square where people are gathering. And then the other focal points tend to be um, the guardhouse for all of these soldiers, right? Um, in Bizet's setting, we have dragoons and, you know, uh, being the type of soldier that's focused on and inst- instead of uh, army or air force pilots. And then we've got a tobacco factory, a cigarette factory where Carmen works and along with a lot of her girlfriends. Um, And that is what really serves as the focal point for the first act until she's arrested and then we take her off later. But in Carmen Jones, Hammerstein is brilliant in that he moves all of that now to um, an army base. I believe it's army. Um, army base. And um, now the tobacco factory 
has become a parachute factory. Um, and Carmen is actually one of the people that works there. Um, and so just the dichotomy of those two worlds, this sort mm-hmm. of classic world where it's everyday life, mm-hmm. and now the American world, World War II era world, where so many people are involved in making things or being involved with things that are attributed to the war, connected right. to the war. Right. But we still have all of the very famous songs kept completely intact, but in um, with sort of redacted text and text that is put in the dialect of African-Americans at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the really famous songs from the first act, um, Sur la plage, Chacon Passé, that's, that's how it opens. And then the one that's called uh, When the Bell Rings, La Cloche à Passé, this is when they, they all leave for lunch and Carmen has her first interaction with Jose or Joe mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the American version. Those stay the same. And even Micaela's song, um, Talk to me about my mother that she sings to Jose when she comes to visit him stays the same in the American version um, when she's talking, when it's Cindy Lou and and Joe. So it was just amazing that they kept all of that perfectly intact, but put it into a relatable situation for the time period that a new audience could explore um, here and hear it in their native tongue. And if I'm if I'm correct, the the uh, Husky Miller, who's a who's a boxer, a heavyweight boxer, was a, a toreador, a, a bullfighter. Exactly. In the, in the original as well. Yeah, Escamillo is the torador's name, mm-hmm. um, and he still has a brilliant rendition of the torador song. This mm-hmm. champion, um, and boxing was so popular in America during that mm-hmm. time, it made sense to make him a fighter. So we have mm-hmm. those commonalities. And then the two buddies of Carmen, uh, Frasquita, who we turn into Frankie, mm-hmm. and Mercedes, who we call Mert, mm-hmm. um, are still singing their original roles. They still have the same type of interactions as they did with the Torador, but now with this uh, very famous boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, I think it's probably one of the best translations of a foreign work that I've, that I've seen. And it's sad that people don't really know it. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, and maybe it's the world war two setting or something like that, that uh, made it seem a little bit too on point of being contemporary, which I think it was so probably so exciting in its day. It it was a big hit on Broadway. So Hammerstein was right in terms of his, hopes at any rate that by translating a great work of art that might be inaccessible to some by helping it along to become accessible, it would still reveal all of the strength and the beauty that it has. Uh, I, I was so happy as, as I'm turning the pages and doing my research and going, oh, and, and it was such a big hit. I mean, how great that it wasn't just a one-off idea that was a gimmick. Um, well, and, it, and they did a brilliant job of scaling it down, right? We're talking about a four-act opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about three to four hours of opera yeah. now being turned into, what, two hours on right. Broadway? And it moves so, along. You know, it's, it's a real pop boiler. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's packed with, with 
intensity and drama and sex and everything <laughs> that you're, you're looking for. One of the things that struck me about the radio show, and I'll say it before we play the show because I, for folks to listen to, and I thought it was interesting, was that in Husky Miller's song, uh, one of the lyrics is, I'm fight like hell. And I'm, I was surprised that they left in that lyric in the radio version in 1947 that they never would have said hell on the radio, but for some ah. reason they left that in. And I thought, oh, wow, I thought they made a, you know, would have rewritten the lyric a little bit, but it's there. It's small, you know, by our standpoints. But in that era, you know, it was Clark Gable, you know, saying I don't give a damn was, <laughs> you know, a big thing for them to say hell on the radio coming right into your homes, I think was probably a big thing. So Maybe because it was attributed to war, like in some way. Could have been. I I don't know. Interesting. I never thought of that. I don't know, but I'm glad it's there. And (laughs) and so why why don't we listen to the show now and then we'll come back on the other side and and talk a little bit more about it. So here from the uh, November 16th, 1947 episode of the Ford Theater are from the original Broadway cast, Luther Saxon as Joe, Elton J. Warren as Cindy Lou, and Muriel Smith as Carmen Jones. The Ford Theater, an hour of radio drama presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, and Ford trucks, tractors, and buses. Today's play, Carmen Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Howard Lindsay speaking. Welcome again to the Ford Theater, a place of infinite variety, as we hope you have noticed. Today, the management offers for its first musical production, Carmen Jones, Oscar Hammerstein's modern American version of the Bizet Grand Opera, Carmen. In Mr. Hammerstein's introduction to the published version of Carmen Jones, he describes a childhood visit to his grandfather's opera house to hear an opera in Italian. I found myself enjoying the lovely music coming up from the opera pit, he writes, but I was puzzled and disturbed by the accompanying action on the stage. Sometimes the fat lady would look very sad, and there was no way of knowing why. Sometimes she laughed, but I wouldn't know what the joke was, and I wished I did. It then seemed quite clear to me why Grandpa lost money on opera. Listening to people sing words you didn't understand wasn't much fun. That's what I thought then. That's what I think now. And so, three years ago, Mr. Hammerstein wrote Carmen Jones, keeping the original music in essentially the same story, but providing new words in a new American setting. The libretto and the music of his Broadway production have been adapted for radio by George Zachary and Lynn Murray. This is the first complete radio performance of... Carmen Jones. Scene, the entrance to a parachute factory near a southern town during the last war. Corporal Joe, a simple, shy young man from the back country, is on guard. Several several other soldiers are standing around shooting the breeze, among them an inquisitive newcomer from the north, Sergeant Brown. Hey, Corporal, 
This factory we are guarding, they make parachutes here, don't they? That's right. Used to be a cigarette factory before the war. Uh, you's new in the camp, ain't you, Sergeant Brown? I just been transferred down from New York. New York. That's the place I'd like to see. You probably will, Joe, on the way over. And I'm the one that can show you the town. Uh, uh, you like gals? I guess I like them all right. You guess you like them? <laughs> That's a hot one. <laughs> well, well, well. Here comes the gals for the lunch hour. Hello, Mabel. What you got to do Hiya, today? Hiya, baby. <laughs> Joe's got all the gals in this factory running after him. They all tried to knock him off, but nobody got him yet. For true? Why, you old cast them over you. <laughs> yeah, one gal in particular. A certain Miss... Joe. That's enough about that. <laughs> Look how he play up when you mention Carmen. Carmen? Hmm, sound like a hot bundle. Joe, is she good looking? Yeah, she's good looking, I guess. Then why don't you give in to her? What you got to lose? I, I already got a gal. My Cindy Lou lives in another town. <laughs> if you got a gal in another town, boy, you ain't got no gal at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 speak of the devil, here comes that Carmen Joe's now. And is she late for work? Well, get a load of that hip-swinging gal Rolling round her work in time for lunch Sally, every time you open that old prune puss You make sounds I don't like How are we going to help the war effort If we don't get to work on time? I'm going right inside and tell the foreman on you You do it, I'll scratch out the one good eye you got left Help the soldiers didn't I like to wear my feet out dancing with them down at Billy Pastor's last night? How about going down to Pastor's with me tonight, Carmen? I'm Sergeant Brown from New York, and I don't waste no time. Well, you're wasting your time right now, boy. <laughs> the wind blowing me in another direction. You mean that for you, Joe? Oh. <laughs> well, well, look, Carmen, why don't you pick out one of us and go steady instead of all the time playing the field? Yeah, pick out one. That'll release the rest of them. <laughs> I won't pick out the man, and he won't pick out me. He don't go that way. You can't ever know where your crazy heart wants to go. And he won't do what you want him to Love ain't nobody's angel child And he won't pay any mind to you One man gives me his diamond stud And I won't give him a cigarette One man treats me like I was mud And all my kisses that man can get <laughs> She's singing right at you, Joe Oh, 
Well, what I mean, uh, you ain't like the kind I wouldn't want you to be. You're like my ma. You talk just like my ma. You even walk just like my ma. And I know why I'm stuck on you. It's cause I'm just like my ma. nice and pretty, you'd be standing in front of a parson in no time. <laughs> well, what do you know? I would be proud to have her for my daughter. I feel like she's my daughter already. Write soon and tell me what you think. What I think? I think that's the best idea I've had, old lady. And just in time, too. <laughs> What's going on in there? Joe, come quick. It's Carmen and Sally. Carmen, you let here? Go, let me go. What's going on here? Hey, what's the charge, Corporal Jones? Murder? She tried to choke me to death. I told you to pull on me. I do what I told you. I do what you told Corporal, is you going to give me a report or ain't you? Well, Sergeant Brown, this one was late coming to work, and that one told on her. Then this one jumped on that one. When I come in, it looks like she's going to kill her. Uh, let's see there, Miss Jones. Oh, you the gal that acted so upty with me a while ago. If you had a been more civil with me, then it mightn't go so hard with you now. 
As it is, I got to dole out the full penalty of the law. Uh, unless you decide to be nicer to me. Won't it do just as good if I'm nicer to Joe? Okay, okay, if that's how it is. Off to the guardhouse you go. And Corporal Joe can be the man to take you, too. And you see that she gets there, quick. Yes, sir, Sergeant. Come along, you. No sitting down. Taint but a quarter of a mile to the guardhouse. Oh, Joey, I've turned my ankle just now. Guess I must have sprained it. Looks like it's swelling up, don't it? Uh, I don't see no swelling. Listen, Joe, be a sport. If you put me in the guardhouse, what good will I be to you? Quit it now. Remember that flower I threw at you? I see you kept it. A little common inside your pocket now. Right next to your heart. Come on now. We got to get going. Oh, oh. Why, but you're strong. The way you pulled me up just like I was nothing. I bet you're a good dancer, ain't you, Joe? Said we could have fun if we went out tonight. I know a good place, too. Just outside of town. Across the railroad bridge. Opposite the gas station. There's a cafe on the corner, run by my friendly faster. A spot where a man takes a lady when he wants to move faster. Guess I'll go and say hello to Pasta.
Joe, I found this gal looking for you. What happened, Joe? Did you forget all about me? It seemed like you copped all the good-looking gals around here. Did you put the other one in the cooler? Well, I... You see, uh... What's this? What's this? Speak up, Corporal. She, she done got away from me. You mean you let her? So, you disobey a superior, and you release your prisoner. Well, maybe she got away, but that guardhouse won't be empty. You'll be in it. Please don't do that to him, Sergeant. Joe's a good boy. He never spent one night in jail. Cindy, uh... He's going to spend more than one night this time. Come on, boy. You you won't say nothing to my ma, will you, Cindy? Oh, no, Joe. Don't you worry about what she tells your ma. Better worry about what I'm going to tell the lieutenant. Intermission with Joe in the guardhouse and Carmen on the loose. Speaking for the Ford Motor Company now, Kenneth Stanghart. The Ford or Lincoln Mercury dealer in your town is not an employee of the Ford Motor Company, nor is he an agent of the company. Your Ford or Lincoln Mercury dealer is an independent businessman who makes his living by selling Ford or Lincoln and Mercury cars and service at retail. And because of this, you can expect and get good service from him. Your Ford or Lincoln Mercury dealer is a responsible citizen with a heavy investment in his business. He spent a lot of money on buildings, equipment, tools, and stock. He has employee payrolls to meet, interest, insurance, and taxes to pay. Sometimes partners and stockholders to satisfy and his own family to support. The only way he can do all that is by running his business well. And that means by satisfying his customers day in and day out. Unless his customers are pleased his business will fail. There's no other way to success. And your Ford or Lincoln Mercury dealer knows that. He knows that success depends on pleasing you. 
That's why he's invested a great deal of time and money in preparing himself to give you good service. That's why he'll do his utmost to see that you get it every time you call on him. Today, service is the major part of his business, and he knows that it is also the foundation of his success in the future. That's why you can expect good service and get it when you go to your Ford or Lincoln Mercury dealer. The second act of Carmen Jones will be heard after a brief pause for station identification. The Ford Theater, Carmen Jones, Act Two. weeks later, scene, Billy Pastor's club, where Carmen is to be found every night awaiting Joe's release from the guardhouse. But Carmen is not particularly depressed by her lover's flight. That would be too much to expect from Carmen.
How about a dance, Carmen? Oh, you, oh, Sergeant Brown. Well, you can just get lost. And look, Carmen, you got no reason to be so uppity with me. Go away from me, you Benedict Arnold. Go away for our buttons. Is this soldier Biden in this, Joe? Uh, what you buttoning for, brother? Uh, let me introduce myself. I'm Rum Daniels, manager of Husky Miller, the fighter. Oh, is that so? Well, how do, Mr. Daniels? Is Husky in town? Oh, just passing through on the way up to Chicago to fight that South American champion. I'd sure like to see this Husky. They tell me he's seven foot tall. No, he's only six foot six. I discovered him unloading boats on Lake Michigan. I see him coming down a gangplank, carrying a jeep on his back. And I say to myself, that's my Husky man. Coming. Husky Bill is coming. Hey, look, what's excitement? Hey, he's in the face. That's my boy. Hey, gonna win your next fight, Husky. Gonna knock out that boy from Brazil. Cut up drinks for everyone. Excuse me, that's for me. Husky oh, Bill is coming. Reach for the house. Well, ain't that a thing? Come on, boy. Reach for Husky Bill. I'm in champagne in the world. Thanks a lot, I'm sure glad to be, to be where I can see so many friends of mine. How about I've been doing, how about I've been doing, if you really want to know the truth, I'm doing fine. Tell him, Husky. Seventeen decisions in a row, and only five on points, the rest was all KO. I got a trainer man who taught me all I know. Just as good to have him in my corner. Hear his voice a whisper low. Before I remember, you must be Until you hear the bell, stand toe to toe, trade blow for blow. Keep punching till you make your punches tell. Show that crowd what you know. Until you hear that bell, that final bell, stand up and fight like hell. And making polka dots around the baseball park. People are quiet, then there's a riot. Someone throws a punch and plants it right, smack on the mark. Someone's hurt, you kind of think it's you. You hang across the ropes, that's all you want to do. Then you 
look around and see your trainer's eyes Begging you to see it through They say, remember, you must Until you hear the bell Stand toe to toe Thread blow for blow Keep punching Till you make your punches tell Show that crowd What you know Until you hear that bell That final bell Stand up and fight Like hell Hey, Husky, come here. Hello, Rum. I want you to meet Miss Carmen Jones. Hey, he'd wave. I noticed you the minute I come in the room. Did you notice me? Why, no. You was acting so quiet and modest, I didn't hardly know you was here. Uh, come on, Husky. Better come on down to the train. Train don't leave for an hour yet, Rum. Uh, no, but it's waiting in the station and your berth's made up. Gotta get your ten-hour shut-eye, you know. I ain't sleepy. Um, but remember what you promised the trainer, man. Okay. I ain't gonna break no promises to him. But you listen to this and listen good. When I wake up tomorrow morning and get off that train, I want to see Tootsie here on the platform. Suppose I don't want to go to Chicago. Yeah, suppose she don't want to go to Chicago. That's your problem, Rum. All I say is, if you can't show up with Tootsie, just don't come around at all. Go find yourself a new meal ticket. But Husky... So long, Rum. Don't forget what I just said. I'll be seeing you, Heat Wave. Good night, all. Good night. Good night, Husky. Good luck, man. See that you win your next fight, man. What do you say, Carmen? You heard, Husky. You coming with us? Uh-uh. Look, baby, let's talk plain. Tomorrow morning, I got to produce you in Chicago, and I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what you do with Husky or what you don't do. After you get there, if he don't appeal to you, that ain't my fault. Think that he don't appeal to me. He just happened to ring my bell when I was busy. Busy? Fooling around in a place like this when you got a chance to go to Chicago. What are you doing here anyway, a smart chick like you? Working in a factory? You gotta work if you want to eat. Not in Chicago. No? What they do there? Pretty girl like you wouldn't have to do nothing, hardly. I could get you a job in a floor show. You'd probably start off at a hundred a week. A hundred a I always wanted to go to a big town. You belong to a big town. You're too sharp for this place. A gal like you needs room to sling herself around. This town is strictly sleepy time down south. Amateur night in Dixie. Sure. That's all it is. You gonna stay here and sleep, or are you gonna wake up and come with us? There you is, Carmen. Oh, it's Joe. Look, Rum, I gotta go outside and see him. I can't tell you just yet. I'll call back for you on our way to the station. Okay, you do that. Joey. I was scared you wouldn't be here. Been here every night waiting for you to come. What you do here every night? Dance with all the soldiers, I bet. Oh, I had myself a couple of dancers. <laughs> I do believe he's jealous. Maybe I am. So what? 
I, I want you to see something. This flower that you threw my way has been my plan by night and day. I saw it fade and lose it through, but still it kept a sweet perfume in my cell through every dark and Why Chicago? If you would only 
Come on, Carmen, let's you and me leave this, this Casper milk toast behind. Carmen, have you been seeing this fella? What's the use of kidding ourselves, Joe? You and me both swimming in the same pond, and the pond ain't big enough for two. Somebody's got to get out, and it better be you, Casper milk toast. I'll show you who's a Casper milk toast. You will. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Joey, Joey, come on, Joey, kill him. Joe, look like maybe he'd been hurt bad. Yeah. Three years for hitting a superior officer, ain't that what it said? Maybe more if he's hurt bad. Come on. Come on, Joe, let's get out of here. Where are we going? You and me heading for that train. No, if I go away, that's desert. And if you stay here, that's prison. They know two ways about it. George, Chicago, here we come. <laughs> second that curtain goes down, the house lights go up, and a familiar voice requests your kind attention. For the Ford Motor Company once more, Kenneth Banghart. No matter where you are, whenever you see the familiar blue and white sign that says Ford Service, you assume that it means competent service. You know that the Ford dealer who displays it is prepared to give good service. But I wonder if you know how much preparation is required. If you visit the service department of your Ford dealer you'll find that he uses special Ford methods of service. Those methods are worked out at the factory by Ford service engineers, men whose job is to find the best way to do all service jobs on Fords. The methods they teach to Ford dealers all over the country are the ones which will give you the best service quickly and reasonably. You'll also notice that your Ford dealer has special Ford equipment, that he uses genuine Ford parts, and that his mechanics are specially trained, experts on Fords. The Ford Motor Company helps all its dealers make these preparations so that every dealer will be equipped to give the best service. And the same thing is true of your Lincoln Mercury dealer. He has also invested a great deal of time and money preparing to give you fine service on your Mercury or Lincoln. You can depend on these preparations. You'll get good service when you go to your Ford or Lincoln Mercury dealer. 
Carmen Jones, Act Three. Carmen and Joe have fled to Chicago, but they've been forced to remain in hiding there because of Joe's status as a deserter. After two weeks, Carmen, irked by confinement, steals away to meet Rum Daniels, Husky's manager. At Rum's suggestion, she joins him at the fashionable Meadow Lawn Country Club on the south side. Carmen, I thought you was never going to get here. I had a hard time getting away, Rum. I scared Joe would follow me, but he didn't. How do you feel on your first night out? Oh, like I've been born all over again. Oh, wait till Husky sees you in that dicty dress. <laughs> wait till he see the bill. Oh, he won't care. He said to me, Rum, you buy Carmen anything she wants. Only get her to make one date with me. Well, I made the date. Now, where is he? Oh, he'll be along soon. I'm sure glad you finally decided to see him. Husky was awful mad that day we get here and you get off the train with Joe. He clipped me so hard, they had to wheel me off the station on a porter's truck. Uh-oh, here comes Joe. Carmen, get rid of him as soon as you can. How'd you find this place, Joe? Never mind, Hal. Heck remains you tried to double-cross me and I found you out. Look, boy. I don't have to double-cross nobody. Just as soon tell the truth. Want to hear it? Listen, Carmen. The truth is I can't stay cooped up in that back alley no more. I got to stay there. You know that. You got to. I don't. Listen to me and listen good. You're coming back with me. Now. You hear? How am I going anywhere with you? You dressed like you is and me dressed up like I am. We'd attract attention, wouldn't we? Ain't good to do that if you're a deserter. Hush your mouth. Oh, yes. I like this place. Here come some army men. Better not let them see you. No. Come for me as soon as you can. I'll be waiting in the shadow of that clump of trees. Okay, boy. You be waiting. Hey, Rum. I thought you said you was going to get Carmen here tonight. I did get her here, Husky. She's right inside. She is? Well, what are we waiting for? Uh, Husky, before you go in, there's a gal here who's been asking to see you. A gal? I just had to see you, Mr. Miller. My name's Cindy Lou. Where you come from? A long ways away. Sat up all night on the train. Got in Chicago late this afternoon. Come straight to you. And you do all this just because you wanted to see Husky Miller? No, not exactly. I want to see a fellow named Joe. I thought maybe you could tell me where he's at. I know you all caught up north on the same train. Honey, I just got... you are you talking all over your mouth, but the words don't connect. I come down to meet Joe that night because I knowed he was getting out of the guardhouse and I had some candy and cakes for him. Well, the bus stop is right near the railroad station. And just as I got there, I saw him getting on the train with that woman. My heart frees up inside me. Oh, I think she's talking about that fella Carmen bring up here. That's right, Carmen. She the one take my Joe. I see. You Joe's old girlfriend, that it? Say, little gal, I want you to explain something to me. This Joe, he ain't a very good-looking fella as I remember. No, not especially. But Carmen brought him to Chicago. Didn't you chase him all the way up here? Say, what's he got? I don't know, Mr. Miller. He was awful mean to you, wasn't he? I guess so. Then why you run after him? Seems like I love him, I guess. But why? I don't know, Mr. Miller. Women is the craziest people I ever met. Come on, Rum. My Joe, he was always my Joe. There was no one but me. You said there's no 
Lord just guided me to you. What you doing here, Cindy? I come to get you back home. I know they're looking for you, but I figured we could sneak through our town tonight and I could take you to my house and keep you there. I take good care of you, Joe. <laughs> I ain't no good to you, Cindy. Go on home. There she is. Oh, she found him already. How did he get here? Thought you was going to wait down there under the trees. Sure you did. You thought I was going to wait there all night. What's this jerk talking about, Carmen? You be careful what you call me, mister. Who I be careful of? Take it easy, Joe. You don't want to get in no fight with Husky. Why don't you go on away with this little sweet little gal of yours? She come 2,000 miles to see you. Why don't you shut that big mouth of yours? This your new man, any common. Sure, he's a big strapping boy. Maybe she'll be a better time than me. Beside that, he's a big shot. Maybe get your pitch in the paper alongside of him so everybody can know who's Husky Miller's latest gal. Joe, come away. Leave me alone. I swore if this is the way it was, I'd never let you get her. Never let you know no man take away from me. How are you going to stop me? I'll show you. Joe, put down that knife. I'll show you how. Stop it, Get away from me, Rum. I'm going to kill that little rat if it's the last thing I do. And that would be the last thing you do. Now calm down. Cool off and act like folks. I just like one crack. Oh, come on, Husky. Now now save your knuckles for the big fight next week. Save them for Poncho. I just like one crack. Joe, you better go away with this gal like she wants you to. Yeah, it's about time you left town. The army will be after you hot and heavy. Let him come. You gotta look out after yourself, man. It ain't just yourself, Joe. I come up kind of somebody else. Oh, what you mean, Cindy? Doctor Kirby, he says There's something the matter with my ma. You gotta come home right away if you want to see her before she... before she gonna die. Doctor Kirby, give me the money to come and fetch you. He knows what means so much to your ma to see you just once. You coming, Joe? Look what kind of man I am now. My ma's dying, and I'm standing here wondering how I can leave that woman. Even for a little while. Why, for a little while? You coming, Joe? You going, Joe? Yes, I'm going. But I'll be back. Don't worry about that, Carmen. I'll be back. Maybe I won't be here no more. I'll follow you no matter where you go. Won't do you no good. Won't you get away from me? It'd be better if you stay away. Another week has passed. Outside the sports stadium, a crowd has gathered before the big fight between Husky and the Panther. They break into enthusiastic greeting as Husky, accompanied by Carmen and Rom, makes his entrance. Which way you mean, Rum? Over where? Over there. Your old friend. O- over there by the lamppost. You see him? Mm-mm. He sure looks mean. Yep. That's his nibs. I thought he went home. He did. But he said he'd come back. I knowed he would, too. Let's shake him. Who's afraid of him? What can he do to me? Let him come. 
Get it over with now. He's nuts, Suppose He kills you. I ain't running away from him or nobody. Child, you is wacky. Well, I got to go in after Husky. You look out now. Hello, Joe. You didn't stay home long. My mom was dead when I got there. I heard you was heading my way. They say I better scram. They say you might get mean and maybe try and kill me. You got your chance. Kill me now. Here I am. But all I want to do is love you like I used to. Hold your hand in my hand and feel your heart next to my heart. And we begin again. Kill me, then. Kill me now and let me go. 
last time. He is the 10-cent store ring again. That's the end of you. You. You give me love. Then you kill it right in front of my eyes. You ain't never gonna do that to no man again. Joe, what you got there? Joe, put that knife away. You can't scare me. I warned you. I warned you. No, Joe. I don't care what you do. You can't have me. No, Joe. No! Sunday, we'll present George Washington's Slipped Here, a comedy by George S. Kaufman and Moss Hart. I think it's safe to say that if you've ever lived in a house, you will enjoy George Washington's Slipped Here. That statement may seem to cover a lot of ground, but so do houses. And so does the play. A house in the country, an old house in the country, is the villain of the piece. Or perhaps it should be called the chief comedian. For the details, which are numerous and laughable, join us here next Sunday. Carmen Jones was adapted for radio by George Zachary, edited by Howard Teichman, with continuity by George Faulkner. The music was adapted and conducted by Lynn Murray, and the entire production was under the direction of George Zachary. Carmen was played by Muriel Smith, Joe by Luther Saxon, Cindy Lou by Elton J. Warren, all from the original Broadway cast. Irving Barnes appeared as Husky, and the other players were Valerie Black, Juan Hernandez, Earl Sidnor, and Maurice Ellis. It's worth noting that as the singing was considered heavy lifting to perform eight shows a week, the lead roles in the original production were double cast, with Muriel Smith alternating with Muriel Ron as Carmen. Elton J. Warren doubles by Carlotta Francel as Cindy Lou, and Luther Saxon and Napoleon Reed shared the role of Joe. There's a wonderful movie, Christy, that was uh, made in 1954, an adaptation uh, of the musical um, with, with a, a terrific cast of heavyweight actors at that time in the 50s. Um, I know you've seen the movie. I was able to watch it the other night, and I was, uh, I was really blown away by it. In, in, and in some ways, and how faithful it remains to the show, they didn't change up a lot. 
No, they didn't. Uh, yeah, you've got Dorothy Dandridge as mm-hmm. Carmen. You have Harry, a very buff, <laughs> <laughs> handsome Harry Belafonte as mm-hmm. Joe. And mm-hmm. my personal favorite is actually Pearl Bailey oh my God, in the yes. role of Frankie. I love her so much as Frankie. Um, yes. But yeah, um, Ola James as Cindy Lou. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, it's just an all-star cast. And Pearl Bailey was, I was surprised in terms of researching, was one of the very few people in that movie allowed to do her own singing, even though Harry Belafonte and Dorothy Dandridge themselves were singers. Uh, Pearl Bailey is the only one who does her own singing. And I, I, I thought about that, and I wondered, is this the time period where she's also a popular singer? Pro Bailey? Yes. Yeah, this I, was, yeah, around the beginning of her career. And she had done, okay. she was doing some Broadway shows, House of Flowers and things like that. Um, but she also took her song uh, from Carmen Jones and had a pop hit with it. A number of, of people, uh, the drum song. Um, oh, was right. one that a number of people re-recorded, but she really uh, took advantage of that being her song and identifying herself with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was astonished at how um, frank the movie is for 1954. It is very... Um, it, it doesn't change things up. You, you look at some of those later, you know, even the Tennessee Williams movie adaptations and they very much changed everything and here they were very frank about what was going on between she and joe and and the sort of um desperate downward spiral that he gets into with himself once he he falls under her spell to some degree um it was it was very interesting but but they didn't do their own singing right and i was i was also very surprised that 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 was sort of allowed on film for that time period. Mm-hmm. And some of, part of me wonders is because there was an African-American cast, was it somehow more culturally acceptable that these characters might be conducting mm-hmm. themselves right. in, in this way instead of, you know, the, the typical housewife situation? Right. From what I from what I've read, Otto Preminger, who very much championed making the film, um, was very concerned about finding a major studio who would allow him to make any kind of a film with this subject matter, let alone then putting in uh, an African American cast doing some of the stuff that the the play dramatizes, and so he made it more as an independent film, so mm-hmm. that he could have a little bit more control over ah. allowing it to be. The, again, the wonderful part of it is, and we think it's the 1950s, people are, you know, are, are all, you know, it's Eisenhower America or whatever. The film was a huge hit. It was a very popular film um, across the board with all audiences, which I think is incredibly rewarding and, and kind of telling to say that those audiences didn't reject it because of the sordid nature of some of the incidences, but they really... They embraced the drama. They embr- and, and of course, Dorothy Dandridge was the first African-American actor to be nominated for an Academy Award yes. for her performance in this. Yes. Um, well, the film is, I, I think as a whole, the film is just gorgeously shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's almost perfection, dare I say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, t- I tend to try to look for flaws and that kind yeah. of thing when I'm looking from that, that era, but everything is so well done. And the cast... 
is also extremely attractive. Like even mm-hmm. when there are situations where they are living in situations that are more like squander, there are all these elegant aspects of it. Right. And then you've got this great singing. Um, as you mentioned, Dorothy Dandridge and um, Harry Belafonte didn't cover their own parts, but uh, Mar- Laverne, Marilyn Horn. Marilyn Horn. Oh, Marilyn Horn, right. Marilyn Horn covered Dorothy Dandridge, Mm -hmm. exactly. And Laverne Hutcherson, I think, covered Harry Belafonte. And so when you hear them sing their solos, um, they're captivating. They're almost spellbinding. Mm -hmm. Um, When when Harry Belafonte is singing um, after he's uh, been incarcerated for helping Carmen escape, and Mm -hmm. he's singing by the river, I mean... It's just a, a phenomenal moment. In that it's film. the only part of the, the, the film that when, when I watch it and then those operatic sections, because the film is so realistic. It's so naturalistic in terms of the scene work. And then the opera moments come in and it, it, it does take you a little while to adjust to the conceit. And I remember when I was watching it thinking it might play a little bit easier in the theater because it is theater seems like such a heightened environment to begin with that maybe the operatic transitions seem a little bit more naturalistic than they did in this very, very realistic film. And then suddenly it gets incredibly artful in Mm -hmm. terms of the the operatic sections. For me, those moments felt like inner dialogue, Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we can really focus on our thoughts and just kind of be ourselves, we're not putting up airs as far as who else is in the room. Right. That's, that's how I think of those moments. Yeah. That's such a great way to, to look at it. It is, and it is very, it's incredibly poetic. Yes. Um, it, 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 it brings them to being these just larger than life characters dealing with these deeply human emotions of jealousy and rage and 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 sexuality and love, um, it is it is much more. It, it treads into much deeper territory than many musicals often do, uh, with the possible exception of things like Sweeney Todd, maybe you know things. Yes, like that. you know one of the things that I forgot when we were talking about just comparisons of of settings from the original opera and this is that um, when we are. Uh, in our final act or final scenes and, and we're at the fight in the original opera, the bull fight, but in the American version at the, at the boxing match, mm-hmm. when Joe takes Carmen's life, rather than having the, the dramatic sense in opera of this extremely violent death, but with a weapon mm-hmm. because he, he stabs her in the original version. Mm-hmm. Instead, we have Joe strangling her mm-hmm. slowly in a sort of in a closet room. Yeah. Yeah. And so that to me, I think is a shocking moment that they mm-hmm. also put that on film. You know, I agreed. <laughs> I was, I was time. so surprised by that because I, I remember I, I, I think I'm right that in, even in, in the musical Carmen Jones, in the stage show, he still stabs her, doesn't he? Or at least he does. I believe he does in the radio. I movie. think you're right. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. But you're right in the sense that strangling the life out of someone is so personal as he's looking into her eyes and taking you know, her life from her. 
Yeah, that was shocking. <laughs> yeah, love, yeah, it's yeah, like, wow. It was. We're really going all the way this time. <laughs> I know, they did. It's an amazing musical. I'm so glad you joined me today and, and, and uh, were able to talk about with this with uh, me. It's such, I'm, I'm so glad I, I learned more about Carmen Jones just by taking the time to listen to it and to watch it and then even more to talk with you about it. So thank you for being here today, Christy Childs. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber.